All right, turn to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. And we're going to look at the word of the Lord today. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Now, many of us in here, we have the ESV translation. If you are on leadership with our church, we do ask you to get a copy of the ESV version of the Bible as soon as possible. Um, we like New King James Version. I personally like NASB as well, but we decided on the ESV, and so we're going to stick with it because uh, it costs too much money for everyone to get another Bible. All right, so we're going to look at the ESV. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, the ESV is a translation of the Bible that's generally known to be a literal translation. And so they will try to literally translate word for word uh, Hebrew words for English words. But here, the ESV has done an interpretation for us because there is a literal word that is missing here. And the New King James Version uh, does a much more literal translation on this passage. The New King James Version says, Whoever... I got. I got to see it. But whoever does not have rule over his own spirit is like a city with broken down walls. Okay. Uh, so the King James version, the New King James version, pretty much says whoever does not have rule over his own spirit. So instead of just saying self-control, a Hebrew word for spirit is mentioned there. Do you know that when you receive Christ into your life, the Bible says that you go from death in your trespasses and sins into life. So you see, although you are physically and biologically alive, when you do not have Christ in your life, you have no way to communicate and have a relationship with God because of the, the sin issues that, that are not dealt with. And so when you receive Christ, you pass from death to life in the sense that you are now alive unto God. And that you're able to communicate with God, you're able to hear from God, you're able to receive His love, you're able to relate to Him. And so the Bible talks about that we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. The moment you get born again in Christ, your spirit is made alive. Because your spirit is that portion of your existence that is able to communicate and commune with God. Anybody with me here? Is it your first time hearing this? No? Okay. Who knows what three parts composes of your soul? All right. It's your mind, will, and emotions. Exactly. Your mind, will, and heart, or mind, will, and emotions. Okay. Uh, the, the, the word for soul in the, uh, the Greek is the word psyche. And that's where we get the word psychology. Psychology is simply a study of the mind, will, and emotions of human beings. Now, uh, if you ever study psychology, you will know that there's all kinds of strange mental illnesses that are very difficult to explain. And there's all kinds of strange things that people do out of their soul, out of their psyche. We see the difference between a person that is unregenerated, a person who's not a Christian, and a person that knows Christ. The difference is... This unregenerate person simply lives out of their soul and out of their flesh, out of their body. So when they get hungry, they feed themselves. When they feel like doing something, I'm going to do what I feel like. 
All right. Instead of just building a wall for their city, they decided to build a wall for the country. And that's how we ended up with the Great Wall. But the, the, the idea behind the Great Wall was to provide security, safety, protection from outside attack. But if you do not know how to govern your spirit, you're like a city without walls, with broken down walls. You're vulnerable to attacks of discouragement, attacks of fear, attacks of insecurity, attacks of shame. If you don't know how to govern your spirit, the enemy, no matter how many prophecies you receive over your life, the enemy will be able to slow down the plans of God for you. You won't be walking in the timing of the Lord. You'll constantly be getting up from the last attack, the, the latest attack that the enemy has poured on, onto you. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to govern, how to rule over our own spirit. Now, how many people in here you drive? In, in, okay, how, about, how, about, how many of you all have a driver license? Okay, how about that? Okay, that's good. All right, more people relate. Okay. Now, I don't know where you drove, but I used to drive in Philadelphia. And then I drove in New York City. And then now I'm driving in the city of Seoul. All right. <clears throat> and um, one thing that I must confess, and I, did, I confess this at Hillside, that I've always had trouble is, I always had trouble governing my spirit when it came to road rage. All right. I don't know where it started. I probably picked it up somehow off the streets of Philadelphia. But the whole big respect thing, you know. I don't even know the person. And I'll probably never see them again. But if they cut me off, all right, it's on. You know, I will go out of the way, drive up next to them, pull down my window and just look. You know, and, and I don't know if you've ever met somebody who does that. But like most, of, most people that did not drive in New York City or and never grew up with this stuff, they just look at it like, oh. Or they, they, they look like bewildered. Like, why are you making a big deal out of such a, something so small? But for me, I've always struggled with road rage. And, and for the two and a half years that Aaron's been married to me, all right, I, I, I have been so embarrassed that she has seen so many road rage incidents. Um, oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I roll down the window, and I'll just start going off in English. Because, you know, if I do it in Korean... I sound foolish. You know, like, I just see, where could I say, oh, from Joshim, Joshim Anago. I just was like, huh? <laughs> and it's really by God's grace because most of the people that I've confronted like this, you know, they, they just look at me like, they look, they look at me with bewilderment. They don't curse back at me because if they curse back at me, oh man, then the door opens up. You see, once the window, you roll down the window, that's one level. But when you open the door, that's another level. Oh, man. Oh, man. Anyway. Mercy. Hallelujah. Um, and each time that road rage, I experienced that. I know the Holy Spirit just grieving my spirit and saying, Son, calm down. It's not a big deal. You're never going to see them again. Just govern your spirit. You know, and, and uh, it's something that I'm still growing out of. But, you know, the, the, the thing is, it's really by God's grace that nothing, not, no big incidents happen out of all, all, all these 
altercations and conflicts because it easily could have escalated. You know, um, it easily could have escalated. Like, um, I think this is a public uh, story, but Pastor Paul once told me, right? I, I was talking to Pastor Paul yesterday. Pastor Paul has this amazing story. Uh, Pastor Paul uh, is a LAX uh, blood. He's a gangster, and he, he was like a true blood on, on the streets of LA. And, uh, you know, he's been involved with some pretty tough, tough, crazy stuff. And he used to fight all the time. He'll be in jail, and he'll fight, and, and, and he'll beat people up. Like, he'll, he'll mess them up. And uh, when he became a pastor and he was in Korea one day, he was driving through Shincheon with some of his young people. And uh, they came to a standstill because of the traffic. And some dude comes up to the window and shatters the window with his fist and starts to grab Pastor Paul's neck and collar. That's crazy, huh? It's in Shincheon. So watch out for them Yonsei students, man. They are, they are studying so much. They are, they are wired up. And, uh, and Pastor Paul said he literally does not remember what happened next. Okay. Because the next thing he knows, he's standing over the guy and the guy's on the ground. Right. <laughs> so, the, so the people that were in the car said that, Pastor Paul, you, didn't, you don't remember? You got out of the car really calmly and you punched the guy in the chest. And he fell down on the ground, and that was over. <laughs> that was it. And then Pastor Paul just, he, he literally, he, he, he blacked out, you know. Now, if, if that ever happened to me, I don't think my punch to a chest would make a person go down like that. But because I've been so poor at governing my spirit, I probably would get out of the car and try to do something, you know. But praise God that by the grace of God, he has kept me from such incidents. Praise the Lord. I'm learning now to govern my spirit better. And so should you. Because, you know, check this out. The whole reason I told you that story is because if I got into an altercation and I got beat up or my car got damaged or my wife somehow got pushed on the ground or something like that, what would I feel like? I would feel like a city with broken down walls. I will feel vulnerable. I will feel embarrassed. I will feel ashamed. Right? That's what the Bible is trying to warn us. We as God's people, we got to learn how to govern our spirit. And, and something helpful that Pastor Benjamin told me is, if you want to learn how to govern your spirit, you got to learn not to trust what you see, but to trust what God says. So a recession hits the economy. Oh, no, everyone's pulling out. Everyone's pulling out their money. Oh, no, no one's investing money anymore because the economy's in a recession. Right? God calls us as his people not to trust what we see in those times of recession, but to trust what he says. You know, in a time of recession, God's been known to tell his people, I know everybody else is pulling out their investment, but I want you to invest at this time. Right? But if you're too busy reacting to the recession and you're too busy caught up in the hype and the flow of the news media and the fear frenzy that's going on in the news media, you won't be able to discern the voice of the Lord and make that investment. You know, the Bible says that in a time of recession, Isaac, he prospered. You know, um, Jacob also, he prospered. 
I mean, he has so many goats and sheep and all these cattle. You know, like, and no matter what his father-in-law did, he was continue to prosper because that God's, the blessing of God was upon him. And we got to learn how when we lose a job, when a crisis takes place, that we learn how to govern our spirit and not trust what we see, but trust what God is saying. It takes faith to do that. It doesn't take much faith to do the other. Because everybody else is doing that. You know, ah, recession, oh no, recession. But the people of God says, no. There might be a recession around me. But I will not be moved by that. The Lord is saying, invest. And I shall invest into the Apple stock. And the Apple stock will see increase. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I first worked for Apple Computers, um, I bought the stock at $8.75 each. This is way back in 2002. I, I was working for the Apple store in Soho. And uh, I got the stock for $8.75 each. Right? And man, I, re- I, remember, I remember orientation. And they said uh, the minimum that most people put into the stock option plan, right? because you get it on a discount, you get like a 10% discount, is you, you, most people put about like 8% toward a stock option plan. But you can increase or decrease that by increments of two. So I remember most people were decreasing it because at that time Apple stock was worthless. This is all before the uh, iPod came out. It was right before the iPod came out. And, uh, and so I remember everybody else was reducing their stock. Some people were bold, and they were actually increasing the percentage to 12%. But I decreased it two percentage points. All right. I only worked there for a little less than a year. And let me tell you, that following year when the iPod, iPod came out, well, the iPod had come out right when I started working, but the iPod just started selling like crazy. I remember I talked to Jimmy Fallon on the phone. He said, hey, hello? Yeah, who this? I didn't say that. I was like, this is Apple Computers. How may I help you? Uh, <laughs> sorry, wrong conversation. And then Jimmy Fallon's like, hey, 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 hey. I heard y'all got, uh, this is Jimmy Fallon. I heard y'all got a new iPod down there. Yo, and I, I just can't live with that, man. I got to have the, new, the latest and greatest, man. Uh, can, you, can y'all reserve one for me? Because I know you sell out really quick. And I was like, Jimmy Fallon? Like SNL Jimmy Fallon? Are you really Jimmy Fallon? He's like, yeah, man. Oh, I love you, bro. You're so funny. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, yeah, I'll, put you, I'll put your name on it. And then another time, uh, the, uh, P. Diddy's assistant called. He's like, yo, yo, this is P. Diddy's assistant. He did he wants the latest iPod. All right, y'all need to reserve one under his name. And we're like, yeah, all right, tell, tell, tell Mr. Diddy that uh, he, he will have his iPod for him. Whoopi Goldberg came into our, anyway, anyway, all these. Um, within that year, the Apple stock started shooting up, you know? And if I would just, if I was not going with the flow of everybody else, if I wasn't in panic mode like everybody else, if all I did was adjust it by two percentage points, man, because you know why? My stock was, I bought enough for like $234 worth or something like that, okay? The Apple stock went from like $9, $10 up to $124. And then it did a two-for-one stock split, if you guys know what that means. That means that 
I had doubled the number uh, with the same value. And so the stock share went from $120 to $60. And then from there, it went all the way up to about $228 at which I sold it. You guys will just kind of do the math real quick. It went from about $10 to $120, split to $60, and then went back up past $120 into $220-something, at which time I sold it. And got my wife a nice, fat, shiny rock when we were getting engaged. <laughs> Hallelujah. But, but man, if I, just, if I just would have governed my spirit and listened to what the voice of the Lord was telling me, I would have invested more. You know, the people I used to work with, they're millionaires now. But I don't, I don't feel like I gave anything up, you know. I'm in the ministry. You know, you can't, you can't pay for this. I mean, the joy and the satisfaction I get from being in ministry, you know, psh, million, million, millionaires, man, they can keep it. Uh, but anyway, I'm just saying, we need to learn how to govern our spirit. And not just trust what we see, but trust what God says. And it takes a lot of faith not to trust what we see. You know? Um, something else that we need to do to help govern our spirit is we need to learn how to respond rather than react. Most of the times when we react to things, it's out of the flesh. You know, somebody says something that offends you, you react in anger. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. When uh, you lose your job and out of fear that you can't provide more income for yourself, you start making all these financial decisions and you make a big mess for yourself, that's a reaction. Most of the times when we react, it's coming out of the flesh. And what we need to do as people of God is we need to stop reacting and learn how to respond. And if you want to be patient enough to be able to respond, you got to learn how to govern your spirit in the meantime. You know what I'm saying? So let's say like today, what is there? There are about like 65 people in here. I don't know, 60, 65. Eunice, how many people are in here? 58. Thank you, Eunice. Eunice is on the ball with that. Uh, there's 58 people in here. But let's say next week, 20 people show up. And then let's say... Um, Sister Susie comes up and says, Hey, Pastor Christian, what's up? I thought you said there's going to be increase this year. Why is there? What's 20 people? What are we going to do now? You know? And, and, and if Susie, you know, says something like that, my natural reaction would be to panic and say, Oh, man, what's going on? We're doing something wrong. Oh no, you know, nobody liked my message from last week. Oh man, you know, we're just going to keep going downhill. We got to do something or we're going to keep going downhill. You know, and I, my flesh will want to react that way. My soul is going to want to react that way. And that's the time when I need to govern my spirit and say, no, Susie. There, don't trust what you see. There is no decrease. There is, it, is, it looks like a setback, but we're not meant to stay here. We're going to keep on moving higher. We're going to see increase yet. Soon there's going to be a hundred people filling this room, worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. 
Susie, we cannot be moved by what we see. We got to continue to trust what God has said. And he has promised us increase. You know, in fact, um, the word of God says uh, in the Old Testament, God came to Abraham and he blessed him. And he said, you know, you are blessed. Count the stars of the sky if you can count them. So shall your descendants be. On another occasion, he said, look at the dust of the earth. So shall your descendants be. Look at the sand on the seashore. So shall your descendants be. I mean, there's a lot of sand on the seashore, by the way. I mean, you just like get a glob of sand. There's so much sand. It boggles your mind, right? But, but God said, Abraham, so shall your offspring be. In, in other words, God was saying, Abraham, I'm blessing you. And because my blessing is upon you, the only way you're going to go up is, uh, the only way you're going to go is up. The only thing that you can experience here is increase. Don't trust what you see. Don't react to any setbacks, any attacks of the enemy. You just keep believing, keep moving forward, right? And, uh, and so Abraham received that, and that got passed down to Isaac and got passed down to Jacob. But the interesting thing that the New Testament says is the Apostle Paul writes by revelation and says, You are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to that promise. Well, what promise is it talking about? was the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis. You will be blessed to be a blessing to all nations. The Bible is saying that we inherit that promise. That promise, I know it looks like the Jews have that promise still. Because, you know, Jewish people, man, they're wealthy. I don't know if there are any Jewish people in here. But, man, Jews are wealthy. Hallelujah. Man, I remember growing up, like... We were in Philadelphia. There weren't that many Jews in Philadelphia. But the ones that were there, man, they were wealthy. And they were like fake address to come to our public school, which was a magnet school, which is a really good magnet academic school, by the way. Anyway, um, it looks like the Jewish people still, and, and in one sense, I think they, they still have it, you know, that blessing. But, that, but the Apostle Paul is saying, look, we've been grafted in to the people of God. We are, we are spiritual Israel now. So that blessing that was given to Abraham is now ours. You are the seed of Abraham. You are the seed. Another word for seed is offspring. Remember, God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. That's you. That's talking about you. You are destined for increase. You are destined for influence. Not just on the local level, but on the global level, I'm saying. The, the positions of influence in Hollywood, the positions of influence in government, the positions of influence in education, those, those seats, of, uh, uh, those high places, they ought to be occupied by the people of God. Because, you know, when, when people of God occupy those places and they do it with character and they're led by the Spirit, the city, they, they rejoice. The Bible says when the righteous are in charge, the city rejoices. You know, those high places, they're, they're for us. But what's been happening is the church has been playing church for so many years. We give up these seats. And so Steven Spielberg gladly takes it. Quentin Tarantino gladly takes it. And then makes very fascinating films, but the films are filled with filth and gore. I mean, it's artsy, but it's like, you know immoral and violent 
You know what I'm saying? The church needs to take back these high places. We need to be in these places of influence. We need to be like Daniels and Josephs. Even if we're not in the place, the high place, we are to influence people in the high place. We need to be like a Daniel sitting, sitting next to King Nebuchadnezzar and, being, and advising him. And King Nebuchadnezzar uh, uh, asking for our advice. Because why? The prophetic anointing is flowing through us. We're able to warn him of a pending uh, famine or, or disaster or something. We need to learn how to govern our spirit, brothers and sisters. Uh, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. I like this because it, it speaks to my road rage. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You know, you can take a city like Genghis Khan. You can govern a city like Mayor Rudy Giuliani. But you know what the Bible is saying? You can, you can govern a city, but if you don't know how to govern your spirit, in heaven's eyes, the person that knows how to rule his spirit is the one that is more esteemed in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Pastor Benjamin, um, he uh, told me a story, and uh, this is really good. Uh, he was talking about in Second Kings, the king of Babylon uh, sets up to take over the city of Jerusalem. And as one strategy that he uses to take over the city, because Jerusalem is a city surrounded with a wall, right? Is the, the Bible says king of Babylon built siege works or siege walls. So there's the city of Jerusalem wall, and then on the perimeter around that wall, they built another wall called a siege work or siege wall. And what they would do is they would come out and they would attack the city, attack the city, and then they would come up behind the wall and then hide behind that wall. And then they come out and then will attack the city again, attack the city, and then hide behind the wall. And what Pastor Benjamin shared with me is, he said that one of the main components that Satan uses in his siege wall to attack the body of Christ, the major component is shame. Satan causes some kind of conflict, you know, some kind of confusion. He messes something up, right? Attacks something, and then hides behind that wall, and then say, "Hey, you, you did this. Look at, look at this, Lydia. This is all your fault. Look at this, Jimmy. This is all your fault. Look at this. You messed up again. Look at all your weaknesses. Look at this. This is your fault." And what ends up happening is a lot of times we don't recognize the enemy's fingerprints in all of this. We don't govern our spirit correctly. So what do we do? We just fill ourselves with shame. Oh, no, it is my fault. I did it again. Oh, I'm so careless. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, you know, and what ends up happening is when you do that to yourself, right? The effect that it has is you don't go after the enemy, the true source of that attack. Instead, you're beating yourself up over what happened. When that when that whole circumstance and mess, it didn't originate with you. It didn't start out from you. 
The devil is the one who caused it. But he's hiding behind that siege wall. And so uh, Pastor Benjamin told me a story. He said one, one time, uh, one of the sisters at church, she comes into his office just crying, crying. She says, Pastor Benjamin, you know, I've been coming out to this church faithfully, and I just feel like, I just feel like you guys don't love me here. You and Pastor Sonny, you guys don't love me. Like last week, we were at the church picnic, and then you said hi to this sister, and then right when I was about to say hi to you, you gave me the cold shoulder. <laughs> and she's just crying and crying and saying how hurt she is. How disappointed she is. And just crying and crying and crying. Pastor Benjamin says, stop. He said, I do not have the ability to hurt you. Because Pastor Sonny and I, we love you too much. We love you too much to hurt you. So, so maybe that day when we gave you the cold show, maybe my baby was crying. But there's some kind of explanation because our heart is to love you, to cover you. And then, um, and then the, uh, what did the girl say next? What, what did I say? Um, uh, I think she's just still crying and stuff. And then, uh, oh, he, he told her, you need to govern your spirit, young lady. All right, you need to govern your spirit. And see that what Satan is trying to do through this strategy is, he's trying to isolate you. He's trying to make a perceived injury be planted in your heart. Right? So that he can isolate you and then do more damage to you. You need to govern your spirit and disallow that. So good. Man, I thought it was so amazing what he said. Right, and so, uh, and then Pastor Benjamin started prophesying over her, prophesying life over her, and she just went out of the office praising God, thanking God, Hallelujah! Right, and Pastor Benjamin was telling me it could have gone a, a totally different way. Pastor Benjamin, when he she's saying I'm hurt, I'm I'm hurting, you've you've hurt me, he could have said, Oh, you know what? I'm so sorry, and she would have said how much more she's been hurt, and I'm I'm so careless. I'm sorry. That was my fault. That was my fault. And she would have cried more and more and more and more. And then she would feel just hurt and needing in, being in need of healing. And then he would just feel guilty and ashamed and feeling like he's a poor pastor. When the whole thing had nothing to do with either of them. The whole attack was planned out by Satan. He made that siege wall. Did the attack, stood behind the siege wall and said, look at this, Pastor Benjamin, it's all your fault. And then the girl's thinking, you know, oh, this is all your fault, Pastor Benjamin. And if Pastor Benjamin came in agreement with that and said, it is all my fault, he wouldn't have been able to go after the enemy's attack. He wouldn't have been able to dig out the source. You know, but so many of us, we don't know how to govern our spirit. We just kind of flow with it. We let the circumstances define our attitudes. And, and, and the word of God is just teaching us today. We got to learn how to govern our spirit, brothers and sisters. You know, what's coming up for Etil one here is increase. There's this increase coming to this house. You are the seed of Abraham. And the, and the things that God's going to accomplish through this house... 
That's just amazing. I mean, you guys are destined to touch nations, to bless nations, to reform education systems, to end human trafficking, to legislate laws that will bring an end to children being imported for sex. Planning out mission trips that go out and heal those with the orphan spirit. You guys are destined. And in fact, some of you are going to go on and you're going to influence people in government. You know, because, you know, if you, if you really, um, and I don't know if Jimmy, Jimmy might know this, but in the entertainment industry here in Korea, you know, uh, I was surprised to hear stories and I won't get into which company, YG or, you know, I don't know all the companies' names anyway. Uh, not, not that YG is one of them. I'm just saying. Uh, a lot of the entertainment industry here is influenced by occultic practitioners. Do you guys know that? So occultic practitioners who, which, who use sorcery, witchcraft to manipulate, control, right? They influence the presidents of some of these, some of these entertainment companies. You know why they're able to do that? It's because the church is vacating those high places. Because if the church was there, we wouldn't allow that. It'll, it'll be so easy to expose a cultic practitioner manipulating, controlling the CEO of an entertainment company. It'll be so easy to expose that. But you know why? There's no, there's no spirit-filled, character-filled Christians up in there. Because we've been forfeiting it and vacating it for so long that these occultic practitioners are able to get in there and influence these high places. Brothers and sisters, this, this should not be so. Can you not see the trickle-down effect why Korea is number one in suicide in the world? The number one killer among young people in Korea between ages of 18 and I believe it's 25 or 28 the number one killer is not car accidents, is not heart disease, is not cancer. It's suicide. And a lot, of, a lot of that, it can be turned back if we will start to influence some of these mountains like the entertainment mountain. The education mountain needs to be reformed. Because I'm telling you right now, if I had to go to school at 7 in the morning... And then school ends at 3 or 4. And then I got to go to a hug one that goes from another 4 o'clock to 10 o'clock. And then I got to go some other hug one for piano at 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. And I come home tired at midnight. And I got to wake up at 6 in the morning and do it all over again. I mean, I don't know what I'll do my, myself either. I mean, the education system here, I mean, it, you know, when it comes down to it, it's the Confucian value, the Confucius value that drive for academics and education, that value that Koreans place on education and academics. But in valuing it so much, they do everything possible to get a higher education, but they don't do it. They work harder, but they're not working smarter. And so the education system here really needs reform. And that's why they start things like SMOE. You know, they're trying to, this is Koreans, this is the Korean government's way to say, hey, uh, we think we need to change some things here. Because obviously, uh, the Hagwons are doing a better job of educating our kids than our school systems are. And the Hagwons get half the time, uh, 
kids spend half the time they do at, at a hagwon than they do at a, at a school. You know what I'm saying? And so they're saying, help us. And here are our foreign, all our foreign teachers that come to New Philly. You know, they, they're going to SMOE and they're teaching these students. And they're just, they're just thinking it's for a paycheck. And what they don't know is they're destined for influence. They're not there to get a paycheck. They're there to turn back the suicide rates. They're there to create an environment of creativity for these children. Man. 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 All right. Uh, let's just take this time. I want us to just do a closing prayer. Just bow your heads with me for a moment. <clears throat> I just want to pray for a couple of people here. Um, if you're in here today and there's some kind of crisis conflict that has come up suddenly in your life and you are just so tempted to react and you feel like it's sweeping you away and you feel like God where, what happened to the plans that you promised me or what's going on in my life and you feel like a shaking you feel like North Africa and Middle East right now because there's a shaking going on and today as you hear this word you feel like Oh, that's what I got to do. I got to govern my spirit. I got to be unmoved by what I see. I got to stay steadfast in the promises of God. If your life, you've been hitting a crisis, conflict, an unexpected twist, and it's shaking you up right now, I want you to just stand up. I just want to pray for you. I feel like there might be a couple people in here that are, that are in that situation. Four people. Is there anyone else you feel that? Five, okay. Feel a shaking. A shaking. Sometimes you think to yourself, God, where are you? God, where are you? I thought you will never let me down. Why do I feel so alone? Why am I feeling like so hopeless? Why every time I pray, why is the situation getting worse? And that's the way you've been feeling. I'm telling you right now. I want you to begin to govern your spirit. Govern your spirit. Rule. Have rule over your own spirit. Refuse to believe those whispers. Because they're not coming from the Lord. God's promises to you have not failed because the circumstances around you are failing. God's promises to you are true. And He will never let you down. Only continue to trust what He has said over your life. Trust what He is saying.